Well, our, our readings this morning come from Ruth, chapter 2, beginning from, with verses 1 to 12. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabites, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabites who came back from Moab with, with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and following along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, Ruth said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. 
So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she'd eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one in whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He's not stopped sharing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Well, please keep Ruth 2 open in front of you. Um, We're going to take a deep dive as we did last week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule. May your spirit be our teacher. May your greater glory our supreme concern. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I don't know whether you picked it up as it was read, but throughout Ruth 2, there is an air of menace. That this is a dangerous time, and this is a dangerous place. Especially if you're a woman. So, uh, think of the instructions that Boaz gives to his his men in verse 9. I have told the men not to touch you. Verse 15 Uh, He he tells them, do not embarrass her, do not rebuke her, let her glean and pick up uh, the remains of the harvest. And then verse 22, what Naomi says, in someone else's field, you might be harmed. She's a childless widow living below the poverty line. And I suppose you could say she's an ancient nobody. A pauper, a foreigner, a woman. And you notice how so often the writer just calls her Ruth the Moabitess. In case you didn't realize. 
she's not one of us. And since time immemorial, women have always been more vulnerable, but particularly in times of anarchy and chaos and lawlessness. And they still are. The statistics for what goes on uh, in our world are pretty horrendous, but I just came across this. So um, in 2007, the United Nations completed a big global report. I think it's been sort of updated from time to time since, but... Uh, they asked all kinds of different uh, agencies and groups to um, contribute. And they had this, uh, as part of this commission on the status of women around the world. And this is what World Vision said. World Vision is a Christian uh, global agency, and they made a formal contribution. And in their report, they said this, the majority of the world's women and girls will experience violence whether it's physical, psychological, or sexual violence. It plagues every community and many homes. The majority. And in some cultures, violence against women, especially if it is hidden behind the front door, is somehow deemed, well, maybe even acceptable. There's just a necessary evil. I remember, as many of you know, we we lived in East Africa. I taught in a seminary for a few years. And I remember on one or two occasions having truly bizarre conversations with students, just one or two, who tried to justify it. But let's not get morally superior. As the UN Commission said, this is in every culture. It happens here. And in, I've been ordained in ordained ministry for, what is it, nearly 27 years, and I have often come across this and seen the fallout. It's usually men against women, not exclusively. I've seen women against men too, domestic violence, but most of the time. And it is unacceptable. Always. But in the face of this air of menace and danger in the fields of Bethlehem, Ruth and Naomi are certainly not passive. But then, of course, they had no choice if they want to eat. And this is a chapter all about eating. And I think you can see a structure of it. Basically, everything in this chapter seems to take place on one day, And you can break it down into sort of four moments through this day. And the first moment, the first conversation, happens before dawn. Presumably, Ruth and Naomi, they've not been in town for very long. Um, They found somewhere to live, a shelter. I can't imagine it's particularly, well, it's certainly not luxurious, and it's probably just passable. Anyway, they assume at the beginning of the story, I guess, that they're alone. And they need food. Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. We don't know when it happened, but as we said last week, Ruth has come to know God. She's come to know the Lord of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. She has come to know the covenant. 
She's been learning it, and so she knows that the covenant actually is very clear about harvest time. So Deuteronomy is full of this kind of stuff, but uh, maybe have a look in your own time afterwards. Deuteronomy 24, it's amazing. It is explicit about leaving leftovers at the harvest for the alien, fatherless, and widow. And Ruth is all three. The alien, the fatherless, and widow. In fact, that little phrase, the sort of trio, happens eight times in Deuteronomy. The alien, the fatherless, the widow, the most vulnerable in society. It's not, it's not an exhaustive list. There are plenty of other ways in which people can be vulnerable. But it, it's a kind of headline the bullet point of the people who are most vulnerable, but particularly in an anarchic, lawless society. And the law makes provision, even for them. But you know, as well as I do, that actually it's one thing for the law to say it, it's quite a different matter for people to obey it. So she can only hope, it's very poignant, isn't it? She says... If there's somebody in whose eyes I can find favor. So the question is, will she? Ruth and Naomi might think they're alone, but we know better. And in fact, the way the writer constructs his story, it's brilliantly told. And it's almost as if it's a coincidence. Now, nothing is a coincidence in the Bible, but particularly in Ruth. But notice how chapter 2 begins. Now... Almost in passing, Ruth had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And then, what a coincidence, verse 3. Guess where she finds herself? In the fields of Boaz. And so, you know, rom-com fans, uh, their hearts are all aflutter because we all know who this is. It's Colin Firth. No, forget that. This is not a rom-com. This is life and death. And the key is not romance, but family. Boaz is Elimelech's cousin. So just perhaps, Ruth is not quite as vulnerable as she feels. So that's before dawn. Then she goes out uh, to the fields and starts working. So the second scene is the working day. One of my cousins is a farmer in the West Country. And I remember we were staying with them one summer around harvest time. And it was incredibly anxious. Um, Especially because in this country the weather is so changeable. You know, August, you have such dreams of August, don't you? And then usually they're shattered or drenched. Um, And... um, And uh, John, my cousin, basically was constantly making calculations, checking the weather, doing this and that, basically every hour going outside to see. Because basically, he needed to be absolutely on point for when to send the combines out. And even a day early or a day late could actually wreck his profits. The margins are so tight. 
It's incredibly stressful to earn your living from the land. It always has been. Even today, with sort of technology and and sophisticated agricultural machinery. But if it's the case today, how much more was it in the ancient world? So we see Boaz being the responsible businessman that he is. He's, he's keeping a close eye on his investment. He's out there in the fields. He's talking to his workers. Now, notice it, the greeting. I mean, it's just a very small thing in passing. But he says, Yahweh, the Lord be with you. And they respond, and Yahweh bless you. But it's a small thing. But God talk is quick to his mouth. He, he's very happy talking about God. And in this time of the judges, that counts for a lot. Then he notices a newcomer. Verse 5. Is this eyes across a barley field? Or the compassion of a righteous man? You see, the law insists on care for the vulnerable. The rich and the powerful shoulder the responsibility for that. I mean, in fact, Deuteronomy is very, very clear. You cannot keep God's law without looking after the fatherless, the alien, and the widow. You can't do it. By not caring for the vulnerable, you're a lawbreaker. The poor can't look after the poor. But the wealthy have a responsibility. Those who are, in quotes, blessed. But Boaz seems to have really taken that on board. Now, we don't know anything about this foreman, this sort of manager that he has, uh, but he's chatting to it. Um, It's interesting, isn't it, that the foreman emphasizes her ethnicity, doesn't he? Verse 6, did you notice that? No name, just her race. Oh, she's the Moabitess. Who came from Moab, in case you didn't get it, with Naomi? Remember last time I said that the book of Ruth is basically, it's like a radio drama. It's a sequence of speeches. And and here we have Boaz's first speech. In verses 8 and 9, he reassures her that, yes, he is someone who takes the law seriously and he will keep it. Her covenant rights are safe. But he gives her this vital advice. Follow along after the girls. I told the men not to touch you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Uh, Boaz is no kind of jobs worth lawkeeper. He is generous and kind. Just as the song that Carney pointed out earlier speaks of, an air of kindness. This is Boaz, a man of grace. And she is amazed. I mean, in a way, it's sad that she's amazed. But this is clearly not her normal experience, is it? Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you you notice me, a foreigner? The answer is obvious. And it's not rom-com love. This is the sacrificial love that has to be revealed to be known. Because you see, Boaz knows the covenant faithful love of Yahweh. And the Hebrew word that is used again and again in Ruth is one of the most beautiful words in any human language. 
It's a tiny little Hebrew word that's almost impossible to translate. There is certainly no direct equivalent in English. You need to use a whole bunch of different words. And I work in a number of different countries, and one of the, I always ask if there is an equivalent for this word in, in people's languages, and invariably there really isn't. The word is chesed. Chesed. Which means, well, it includes loving kindness, covenant faithful love, grace and generosity, openness, hospitality, love. Boaz shows chesed, the kind of love that looks after the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. But he also knows it when he sees it. Do you see that in verse 11? I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. I mean, that, that is unusual. Boaz is the first to really spell out the enormity of what she's done. And so he prays for, may you be richly rewarded by Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? But that's a covenant phrase. Isn't that what Israel have experienced in God? That basically he carried them out of Egypt on eagles' wings and protects them. Ruth, the refugee in Judah, has found refuge in Yahweh. But at this stage, she doesn't have the slightest clue how it's going to pan out. She's just bowled over. She says, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? You have given me comfort. I can't imagine that's happened very much to her in recent years. And spoken kindly to your servant. I don't think kindness was a hallmark of the period of the judges. Though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. I mean, I'm a a nobody. But that is how kingdom relationships should be done. This is the air of kindness that should characterize all our human interactions This is what it means to be in God's family. Wouldn't it be amazing if every single relationship or every single conversation I have with somebody is in the context of being confident I'm going to be safe, that I'm going to be loved, that I'm not going to be judged, that I'm not going to be taken for a ride. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't our world be amazing? Is every time you meet a stranger, there's no stranger danger. Quite the opposite. Now, of course, don't be naive. The world isn't like that. It's a brutal, vicious world. And we need to be safe. We need to take protection. All the rest, I get it. But wouldn't it be amazing? And yet, this is exactly what Ruth found in the fields of Bethlehem. We've got to ask, haven't we? 
How well does St Mary's fare on the litmus test of caring for the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows? As I say, it's not an exhaustive list. There are plenty of other ways in which people are vulnerable or at the bottom of the pile. I just threw that out. I, I know there are some great things going on. There really are. But we need to keep asking this question. And it's not an old covenant question. It's a new covenant question as well. Just read the letter of James. Anyway, we've got to get back. So we scoot ahead now. It's lunchtime. This is the third section from verse 14 onwards. So the Mediterranean sun is at its height. And you can hear all around the fields the sort of chatter and hubbub of workers, you know, downing tools, finding a shady spot to, to have some food. As one of the things I used to love about Kampala when we lived there, the early evenings, just as the sun is setting, it, you know, it's, everyone's outside and it's, you just hear all around you chatting and people getting supper ready. And, and it, it was just always a very sort of lovely, um, enjoyable time. The heat had gone. But anyway, here we are at lunchtime, but there's this noise, this hubbub around the fields. But I can imagine for Ruth, it was probably a very awkward time. I don't know if she's like me, maybe she wasn't, but I find sort of walking into a situation where there's lots of people doing stuff and I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing, very tricky. I just want to hide. I, I, I imagine that she'd be quite happy just to go and sit behind a bush so that she didn't have to talk to anybody and avoid the embarrassment of people not noticing her. Uh, when we worked at All Souls in London, we were there for, I don't know, 12 years in the end. We used to have an annual uh, church picnic in Regent's Park. Um, it was all very sort of um, chaotic and slapdash. And it was basically, we'd all sort of meet in Regent's Park um, at a certain time and, and see what happened. And... Um, it was great, but of course, on one particular Sunday, it was raining, obviously. Um, that was part of the plan, probably. Um, and uh, I think I was the first member of staff to get there. There were already a few people who'd gathered, and I noticed in the sort of general zone where we said we were going to meet, there was, uh, under one big tree, there was one family, and on another big tree, under another big tree, there were about 40 people. And I noticed that the family on their own was not British. Under the, the other tree, everybody was British. And I was acutely embarrassed. Now, I'm sure nobody did it intentionally. It was just one of those things. It starts raining, all kinds of things. But it really brought home to me how we are so rubbish are drawing in people who are even just a little bit different from us. And, you know, All Souls is an amazing church. 65 nationalities and counting in the congregation when we were there. Just stunning. Such a joy. A true rainbow church in many ways. But if it's hard to do that in All Souls, how much harder in ancient villages that were deeply suspicious of an outsider. It takes a person of standing to change a culture, doesn't it? Boaz was certainly that 
So imagine, I guess he's munching on his pitta, uh, and uh, he's probably got some hummus and other, some olives and things. Um, and uh, he spots Ruth, and he calls her over. And here we see that in the house of bread, a farmer offers Ruth bread. That's no small honor. But it's in his instructions to the workers that we really see his kindness. Verse 15, even as she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles, leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. Just let her quietly get on with it. Don't make a fuss. The law allowed the poor to pick up leftovers. Deuteronomy 24 is explicit. Now, I have no doubt there were plenty of people who would exploit um, and, you know, the unscrupulous could easily take more than they, 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 they should be allowed. And I don't doubt that even when landowners allowed this to happen, they kept a pretty sharp eye on what was going on. But Boaz does the exact opposite. He tells his men to drop stalks. Deliberately, with strict instructions not to embarrass or rebuke, it's stunning. It's a beautiful thing. And so Ruth works. She works hard. She takes an ether, and that basically means a big basket that she's going to have to cart home. But I understand that that is roughly half a month's wages equivalent in one day. So Ruth has worked incredibly hard. Boaz has been incredibly kind. And so you could say that for Ruth and Naomi, the famine truly had come to an end. They could eat. There was more than enough. Verse 12, Boaz's prayer has already been answered through Boaz himself. So we come to the final scene, and it's after dark, it's back home. I imagine Naomi was sort of on tenterhooks all day, praying like crazy. Because she knew what people could be like, she knew what the local men might do. Scary. But she wants the full lowdown, and... I love it because as soon as Ruth mentions Boaz's name, Naomi's brain sort of goes into overdrive. Do you notice that in verse 20? The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. That man is our close relative. Who knew? He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. I mean, this simple discovery has just flipped her 180 degrees. It's completely transformed her. Do you remember last week how she wanted her name changed to Mara because she was bitter, because the Lord had brought her back empty? It was all the Lord's fault. But now, now, it's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. You see, Don't be too harsh on on Naomi. It's not that her faith is fickle. It's It's just that she got God wrong. She had a slightly jaundiced view. She didn't quite see the totality of God's character. She she doubted his kindness. 
And she was wrong to do that. Much though I fully understand and have stood with her at so many points, thinking, God, what are you playing at? I don't get this. So I don't blame her. But she was wrong because God is still at work. And she even uses the word chesed. God has never stopped showing his chesed. His covenant kindness to to those who return to him. All those who return to him. Even families that bog off to Moab. God had shown chesed to the living and to the dead. That's not pious liturgy. Naomi's husband Elimelech had up sticks, given up on his land and his inheritance to go and live in Moab. And she, as a result, and two other women, as a result, indirectly, have been left husbandless, childless, hopeless. But now she realizes that actually all is not lost and the family may get something back. That's how the land uh, apportioning used to work in the covenant. Boaz is a cousin. One of their kinsmen redeemers. More on that next week. But for now, it's enough to know that Boaz exists and that he's kind. Ruth 1 ended on a cliffhanger, remember? Just as the harvest was just beginning. Ruth 2 closes as the harvests finish. And it's a wonderful, sort of incidental little half sentence. I mean, it's so um, superfluous in a way, you just think, well, it's not really adding very much, but actually, it says it all. Do you notice that? She lived with her mother-in-law. That says everything you need to know about Ruth, doesn't it? She lived with her. She didn't have to. There was no moral obligation. But she was there. And as a result, (coughs) Naomi can eat too. This chapter then is absolutely full of chesed, of Ruth to Naomi, of Boaz to Ruth, and of Yahweh to everybody. There's such a stunning window into the gospel because Yahweh ultimately reveals chesed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So there are many days when I doubt the reality of God and the character of the Father because that seems so remote. We have to sort of try and sort of conjure up and imagine and so on. And it's very difficult. It seems so abstract to talk about God like that. But Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It doesn't have to be abstract at all. We just have to look at Jesus and say, that is God writ through. He is the ultimate revelation of God. He is the one who brings chesed to all the nations. So that as we sang earlier, the nations will be glad. Uh, Proverbs describes friendship, doesn't it? Friendship is a, a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that's Jesus. That's chesed. That's the gospel. 
even after we've messed up. I'm not recommending going off to Moab, but if you are in Moab, come home. Because you'll be welcomed with open arms. Not all the Christians around get that. Sometimes they raise an eyebrow, or worse. But not Jesus. Let's pray. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant. Father, we see a beauty in Ruth, in how she loved Naomi. We see a beauty in Boaz, in how he loved Ruth and Naomi. We see a beauty in you, and how you poured out your amazing chesed love, not just to this family, not just to this nation, but to all nations. Give us such delight in the wonder of the gospel of Jesus that we overflow with gratitude and chesed love for others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.